Thank you once again for tuning in to another edition of Talk So Real, the uh, podcast series where I, Matt Sanzala, sit down with some of my friends and fam and talk about history and current politics and things going on. And when I say politics, I mean just in the streets and what we're doing, what we've got going on. And today, I've got an integral human being from this Austin, Texas hip-hop scene, man, this community, someone who's been around and seen it all and been behind the scenes on a lot of things. And uh, he's definitely one of those guys. I hate when we're not going to dwell on this too much, but I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that don't get the credit they deserve, and we want to give the flowers to the people as when they're still here. And uh, that's why we're going to get up to about two, 300 of these podcasts, I think, as, as we uh, go on. But today in the studio, we've got my man DJ Protege in the house. What's up, man? Yeah, buddy. This is going to be fun. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm a I talker. Mean, I know. I'm glad, man. <clears throat> That's what we need. That's what, and people want to hear that for some reason now. I don't understand. We, we just sit and listen to people's conversations all the time now. You know what I look for in that is uh, authenticity. Yep. Um, because, like, you know, we had talked and you were like, man, you got to check out the, the VU episode and you got to talk about the, you should check out the new Rick one. I was like, yeah, I need to get caught up. I was kind of late. Um, but listening to those two episodes, it reminded me of so many things. Uh, growing up, growing up around those guys, um, mm-hmm. you know, trying to do my thing, watching them do their thing. And it was never a competition. It was always just like, those are my buddies, but I also looked up to them in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And, uh, those it's authenticity within like those conversations that I nerd out on because I witnessed a lot of it. Some of it I was there for, um, some of it I had a similar trajectory, but it, but it is, it's all fascinating to me. It's mm-hmm. all fascinating. And like, you know, I, I love hearing other podcasts just in, from the, the talk radio show format of it. Um, that cat, that cat's like a ninja. Yeah, she's a um, but the those special guest. Yeah, man, those things. Are like, it, it reminds me of it remind me of growing up in South Austin, and, yep. and 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 that's important to note. Born and raised in Austin. Yeah, so I, I I'm born and raised in Austin from Brackenridge Hospital. Um, I moved my, my parents moved out of Austin uh, and into Bastrop when I was younger, and then uh, when I was 15 or so, 15, 16, I moved back into Austin mm-hmm. with, an, with a relative. And I had been back and forth like nonstop, like every weekend kind of thing. But uh, you can't do hip hop in the country. No, no. And, and when you do what I, like even when I first started DJing out in the country, it was so foreign to everybody. It was so weird. Man, but in I South was... Austin, it was homies. Yeah. And they just knew what I was doing. You know what I mean? Because they were doing it too. I was just talking to Wes Sanders and he told me he's been doing a, him and knowledge have been doing a weekly out in marble falls. at super crunk mm-hmm, for a mm-hmm. while. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But, um, so it's happening somewhere. Yeah. It, but it's still happening. And yeah. it's still those same people because, uh, I've known knowledge shoot since him, him and him and his brother, man, were just, you know, they were me at one point in time and we're going to all the shows. Like I used to go to all the shows mm-hmm. and, uh, and I've, dude, I've really come to love those guys. Cause they see me, they show love, they, they, they bring up stuff I forgot about. And it's cool to see that those guys that, that I always like to hang out with, they're now, not only now, but are, have been and are still doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. That stuff is cool. It is cool, man. I'll tell you, I think Austin's always had a really cool DJ scene. It's been, it's been healthy. And, and, you know? and the thing I, when I say that is cause I know a bunch of guys from San Antonio um, and I know a bunch of guys in Houston and Dallas and other cities outside of Texas and the U.S. And one thing in Austin is there there's been some guys that have, that have been very combative in like the 
especially like in the old school days in the nine in the late 90s it was you know there was a bunch of them like a knickknack that were pretty open and willing to talk to people and hang out and stuff and then but then there were certain people that were a little more kind of uh you know standoffish yeah. you know they took that that battle mentality too far sometimes but um and then there, but but for the most part everybody's pretty healthy um yeah well we were talked about on uh because I, I the second one of these i did was with Sally williams and he grew up yep playing in the bands and stuff, playing mm -hmm. on Sixth Street. We were talking about how much Sixth Street's changed into, like, more of a place for DJs. Yeah. You know, and more, you know, shop bars and this and that. But the positive side of that is there's no, you know, there's competition here, of course, but you're not just in a city battling to get that one night. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't, if you don't get into this club on Fridays, you just go down the street and start yeah. your own night. Yeah. Because there's another club. It and was, it's like, it's crazy here because there's, the opportunities are... For, yeah. li for live performances and things are almost endless. Yeah. So, the, and I've been on, I think, both sides of it because in the beginning, there was no, you know, Kung Fu's or any other Austin staple party bars like that to go to or, mm -hmm. you know, and, and no disrespect to any of those guys because they, uh, they're, they're pretty cool folks, man. Um, well, the party scene back there was a lot different. It was different, and it's funny you say shop bars because one of the ones I remember hanging out and sneaking into was Hot Shots back in the day on okay. 6th Street. Yep. Uh, it was right next to Bob Popular's. Um, but yeah, like I, I would DJ one or two underground hip-hop things back in the day, and then underground hip-hop started to fade away, and and and, and so I kind of found myself at that point in like a weird area, and so I, I kind of refused to conform, so I just kind of stopped DJing and started hanging out in Metopolis more and just focus on back on like making music instead of playing it. Mm -hmm. Eventually I started playing clubs again, but it, I had to change the way I played if I wanted to continue to make music as a DJ. Cause before in the beginning it was a bunch of live venues and one or two DJ spots, or you would open up yep. for a hip hop mecca show. And, and you know, I'd be an opening DJ like Nick was and some of the other DJs around town, like Lottie Down and stuff. And, um, but it was it wasn't an everyday thing. You couldn't get a gig on a Tuesday and make money. No. Um, but nowadays it's kind of just the opposite. It's where the DJ gigs are very easy to come by. But the it, the what you play in those gigs is definitely different by today's standard. Um, well, that's my problem with it. I don't have any will to be a part of like the the new music or the trap stuff. Like I, I'm always mm -hmm. going to kind of just be in my lane and that. So I you know let the young people do their thing and. It, I, I don't resonate with it so much, but there's certain trap beats that are, that are here mean, and just like blow my mind. Yeah, I mean, I'm not living in the club like that either, so it's not really my. Yeah, I understand. There, there's DJ club stuff. records. I don't know. Like, there's real like, uh, and that's another thing too. Between like club with like say what I DJed uh, at Rain on Fourth, like that's a you know gay club, but it's a club. Mm -hmm. And then like in the hip hop world, when you say this is this is this club music, that means something a little different well, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that's a little more hardcore stuff. And, uh, shout out to DJ Oak Cliff. Like he's, he's one of the, the, the homies that runs a club scene like that in Houston. Wow, man. Yeah. You brought him up. We were just talking about him. I was talking about him with Michael Watts. Like I've, I come from the days of Oak Cliff DJing on cassette tapes. Yeah. So I, I met Oak Cliff through uh, sneaker summit and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Kadoma and my partner, Ralph G. Um, yeah, and cause but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oak Cliff is a homie. He holds down a spot like that. I know nothing about that. I no, think he's, he's been dope. in Carrington's forever. Yeah, and it's so dope. And he holds it down. I'm just like, yo, this guy's real. Like he's no, real. I, when I say DJ on cassette tapes, I mean he played cassette tapes in oh, the club. Like he was mixing real. songs off cassettes. In oh, the club that's dope. That's dope. Yeah, back in the day. Like he's 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 a monster, man. 
He's a monster. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah, there's so much history out here, man. And so many, uh, so many voices and, and hands that made this happen. Uh, in Austin, our club guys, I always kind of looked at it was like uh, Hella Yella, Don Tissel. Yeah. Um, Corrupt was in some of that scene because of, of fraternity connections. Those are those are like our Austin kind of club guys in that realm. I mean, I come from DJ Casanova days and stuff. Too. I remember Cas coming out here. Yeah, I, I remember. I was like, "Yo, that, that guy actually made like a real record record, like with Two Live Crew." Like, yeah, yeah. And so, like, like that's how I knew him back in the day. And I was like, "Man, like, if if I got if I'm ever gonna get some music stuff and and, and like be legit, I was like, I gotta get on his radar." Mm-hmm. He was somebody because he was one of Mike Swing's homie, and Mike Swing was like, "Oh, I know Cass. I know Casanova. That's my that's my boy." And, uh, and, and I never really met him like that, but it was just somebody that I knew was doing it. And I was like, man, I'm like, I'm trying to do it. I gotta, I gotta be like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty dope. Man. What was your entry point for, uh, Austin hip hop? We talked about, you know, house of fat beats and hip hop Mecca. Like those were, yeah, that was quite an era here. So it's, it started way before that though. Uh, if I had to think about it, it, it starts more when I was like b-boying and, freestyle rapping at house parties and stuff. Mm-hmm. Doc Holiday was uh, rapping back then, for yep. house parties and stuff. Um, but the turning point that changed everything from like, I was just like, I was into graffiti and I'd be painting and drawing and all of this, like any, any other hip hop nerd, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I met in, I met DJ Flo Rock in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I already knew who Lottie Da was because I think he went to uh, Travis High School, I think at the time. I can't remember. And I knew who he was because I would see him around town because I would go to all the live shows. But I met DJ Flo Rock. And Flo Rock, um, we skipped class. I met him in the bathroom, weird story. Um, but he was like, oh, you rap? Because me and my buddy Giancarlo would uh, freestyle in, in the back of class just being bored and stuff. And, uh, and he was like, why DJ? And I was like, really? And I was just like, yo, like, I'd love to see it. Mm-hmm. And so he just invited me to Montopolis one time. And then that was my introduction to techniques, uh, probably like 15 or 16 or something like that. But that's that's where I went from like trying to break dance and rap and and then I was just like, Oh my god, I gotta play records, like I gotta scratch. That's really what it was with scratching though. Yep. And and and, it, and but that was the introduction for it for me. And then once graduating high school and DJing house parties and stuff, eighty eight point seven was like the world to me. Mm-hmm. Uh KVRX was like the world to me. That was like the next thing. I was like, How do I get on radio? Like that's the next step, that's the big thing. Um, and just from hanging out, um, eventually I earned a chair with Mike Swing on, on his 11 o'clock show. Right. Yeah. And, but that was KVRX. hanging out after years. Yeah. At KVRX. Yeah. Yep. And that was hanging out for years. But that was like the beginning of it was Flow Rock and, and then just trying to go to every B-Boy event, whether it be a B-Boy City kind of thing. I think I might have DJed like B-Boy City 4 or 5 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then try to go to like all the shows. I mentioned the Chaotic shows. Yep. At South Austin Rec that uh, Cashless and... Aaron and and uh, Little Tiger put on. Um, I just tried to go to everything, man. I could I couldn't get enough. And if mm-hmm. I wasn't at a show, I, I I felt like I was missing out before there was like a FOMO kind of thing mm-hmm. because I knew like everything was crap, and that was the real real hip hop right there. No, it's true, and it's funny because people complain about you know things nowadays. I mean, you couldn't back in the day, man. There was like one place you could get in on Sixth Street and do a yeah. rap show, man. Yeah. They weren't trying to have none of that. Man, You'd the, be at South Austin Rec Center. <laughs> yep. You know, and all and different, like off the 
you know, shout out to Catfish Station, of course. And then, yeah. you know, later on, the Bob Popular and things like that yep. and different stuff. Electric Lounge, Liberty Lounge. Electric Lounge was off 6, though. Yeah. Electric was, Lounge was a shit, but it wasn't like right on 6. You know you know what's funny is uh, I never dabbled in, in, in the music, but as far as like shows, I was always at like punk shows, too. Yeah. Because I had homies I went to high school with that, Although we were doing hip hop stuff, they were doing punk rock stuff, and that world just naturally gets along. And I think it has to do with like the the, the revolution within the music. And uh, and so I mean, I, think about it, you got you know this is Tim Kerr's territory, man, and that's mm. what he was bringing with Bad Mother Goose, and the, the, there was a big crossover yeah. of sounds back then. When I mean, you got to think about like what Ice T did with rap rock and how like yeah. all those things, and it wasn't always just punk, but it but I was at punk shows and stuff, and so like like. I think it was a uh, black cat uh, on Sixth Street. Yeah, of course. So I was before it burned down. I was just going to shows. I and talking about old school Sixth Street because it was like you know more live music. Mm-hmm. I would just go down if I wasn't DJing, and I would pop into where there were DJs, introduce myself because I knew no better. I just knew I wanted to meet other people that were doing what I was doing, and then I would bump into shows mm-hmm. like a Gary Clark Jr. Playing a dive bar at 16, 17 years old, mm-hmm. you know, and and ever since then I just been a fan. I mean, that was the shit though back then. When you mm-hmm. mentioned the Black Cat, and mm-hmm. my wife was actually talking to me about asking me about Sixth Street. Like, so when you were younger, did you used to go out there, and was it different? And I was like, Yeah, man, it was like mm-hmm. all bands. There was punk rock places. There was places that were more like kind of gritty, and and I think that's what separates and what's made it kind of corny now is that like. There's, you know, they, they fucking close the door on the parish. We still have Flamingo Cantina, thank God. Mm-hmm. Literally, thank God that that still exists. But, like, on 6th Street proper, there's not a lot of, like, there's some, but there's not a lot of, like, original live music. It's more up Red River and all this, which is in the area. But, like, yeah, back in the day, you used to go, it was South by Southwest all the time, in and out of venues. I think out it's identity. I think it's identity. Um, I think it's money. I think it's well. I think it's money too. But like when when bars would open up before, mm-hmm. you would go to to this place because they played hip hop, or you go to that place because they played reggae. You go to that place because they did you know beer land. Now was on some weird punks and and rock music stuff over there. You know, mm-hmm. not saying it's weird. I'm just saying like you know, um, but uh, but you would go to these places and they had identities. Mm-hmm. Now it's about how many people can you touch. All at the same time, without you want to be as as inclusive without being as little as being exclusive. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, to where and that's where I think where you get the the you know you go to a cool bar, but then they still play hits to a certain extent. They're touching every genre and every, the big hit of every genre to try and curate a night. Versus before, it was about a scene, a vibe, and and that that sound in that venue for the evening. They mm-hmm. don't that's that you don't get. Flamingo Cantina still does it. Um, when they do a reggae concert, they don't mix in a country artist on a reggae stage. It's just an all reggae show. It's an all hip hop show. I think uh, DJ Notion is over there helping out uh, with, with Doug Mecca over. Yeah, they're definitely over there. Yeah. So, but but yeah, and I think it's identity. That's with the venues just lack identity in that way. They have gained identities in other ways, but it definitely is please the majority, cycle through, and and don't worry about the the artistry side of the music just let's let's just kind of touch on what we need to do to make the, the drinks flow yeah i mean i think there's still great music venues here don't get me wrong but there's still there's a lot i, of, I love what antones is doing you know? i love what antones is doing yeah it's a nice room um it, it, the room is dope it's very intimate the ceiling's low um it's it's it sounds good you know it feels good i like the 
the the diversity of the show. They're keeping it real in the sense like you'll still see W.C. Clark playing there. Um, but then you'll see a Bun B show. Mm-hmm. Um, I got introduced to DZ Brown, not as a person, but as an artist. I got introduced to DZ Brown. He opened up for Bun B. That's right. And I was like, and I was there to support Bun as a fan. And 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 we took, um, me and my partner, we Raph, we, we took one of our uh, staff members for his birthday to the show because we knew he loved hip hop too. So mm-hmm. like, dude, let's go to a show. And I was like, yo, this kid's fire is different. It's, it's hip hop, but it's Southern and... You know, and it, his live performance is also live. It, so, but but that so but that 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 new with the old, and then also they still keep it real to what Antones was as far as like the, I think the consistency of the the music. And mm-hmm. so, like I love I love hanging out there, man. Man, it's great. And there's you know, and there's no shortage of, of shows these days. We talked about this. We reconnected at a Bun B show for yeah. four twenty. Yeah, it's fun over in uh, Kenny Dorm's backyard. I, uh, there, there's a lot of like that show was just fun to me. And it, it's, it's not so much that I got to see another Bun B show because, and I, I was joking around, but I was that serious about like, yo, this is our Rolling Stones, man. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some people just stop doing things and they move on and they become grandpas and stuff like that. But Bun B is still doing that and he's still being creative and he's still evolving. And so to go to a show like that is still fun to me. Yep. Um, what he's done with Trill Burgers is like. I think it's awesome. It's like, man, I would love a drill burger. Just put it in Austin. Just do it. I mean, yep. I know they did Far Out Lounge and stuff, but I'm saying like, I think I see, I understand a little bit of where the vision is going with that. And and, and I'm excited just to see it become a reality because mm-hmm. in our world, like those things growing up to have that type of authenticity in a business and, and something that we could support, it wasn't, it wasn't there. I mean, you had what star seeds back in the day? Oh man, come on! That food was horrible. No, it wasn't. I, I thought I, it was. <laughs> I got to eat their breakfast food at three in the morning. It was good. You you probably had a bunch of red stripe in you. Probably <laughs> every time. Because because I know when I went, I was smashed and it just went down. But I went sober at one point with Mike Swing years later, and I was like, for like lunch one day or something, and I was like, I remember this being way better, bro. No man, I went. I mean, because we're talking about 20-some years, more than 20 years ago, yeah. the, the heyday of star seeds in the middle of the night. I'm not eating uh, breakfast at 3 a.m. anymore, ever. But um, Not good for you. No, but <laughs> a lot of things weren't good for us back then. <laughs> but the, uh, that place was like the good down-home spot, 24 hours. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of places, nothing's open 24 hours anymore, it yeah. seems like. And uh, But I went one time in the last 10 years, 7 years, something. It's been a minute, I don't, you know. And uh, it was like all healthy food. Uh, everything was like all like it was good too but it was like it was a totally different like where's my big ass <laughs> blueberry pancake with the i understand you know. like trying to maybe evolve with the times yeah. and i get that but i think what made what made that place special was part of was was it's just an old-fashioned kind of diner menu in an old-fashioned diner and and you know that that grime and grit to it is what made it awesome you know what i mean yep. but the moment you change that and you say i don't know if there's really a tofu sandwich but you know what i'm saying the moment you put that on there and you take off like the blt because that is bacon and now you want to do a tofu lt like that no, that is. takes I mean, the soul out of it for me yeah but it's a lot of things have changed here a lot of things have evolved and i'm glad it's mm-hmm. still there you know yeah like there, there, there's like i love the fact that like dan's hamburger's still around yeah you know i, I that's when i'm a burger nerd um Shout out to my my buddy Ali Ali Kanid. Uh, he had a, like a burger traveling show, and mm-hmm. and I talk I still talk to him about uh, burger and stuff because I nerd out on that stuff. And and me and him kind of went down a list a couple weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, uh, just talking about our favorite Austin burger. And I was like, bro, 
old fashioned butter burger, South Austin. You got uh, you got to go to Dan's. Yeah. In Houston, I told him about Stanton's, Stanton City Bites. No doubt, dope. Yeah. And I was like, dude, it's cool now with the remodel and the fancy chairs and all that they got in there. It's really cool. I was like, but I remember going in there the first time with like Elroy Boogie and Data, and it was like oodles and noodles and a six pack of of like Bud Ice, and then they made burgers and egg rolls. Oh, yes, they did. Yeah, and it was dope, man. And and it's still dope. I tell everybody to go because that's a great hamburger. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen the new the remodel. It, it's not bad. It's just a little fancier. Same location over on Edward and uh, in Houston and Edward. It's dope. It's the same food. It's just as now that they've, they've, you know, they've expanded the inside. There's no more lawn chairs to, to eat in. It's mm-hmm. now it's like proper chairs. It's pretty cool. Well, speaking of food, you're one of the men behind Slap Barbecue here in Austin. Uh, yeah, I was one of the, I was part of the driving force behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I came uh, for, the, I had a friend tell me, he's like, man, have you been to that place, Slab? And uh, I was like, nah, I, I didn't know at first, you know. And he's like, man, I go, every time I go in there, they're playing <laughs> screw tapes. Yeah, sometimes. So I had to go check it out. This was years ago. This is when you guys first yeah. opened up. And I was like, well, like, right, it's important. Go check it out. It's, it's important. Um, because I grew up on Screw, uh, especially being when I was out in Bastrop. A lot of his family's in Smithville, and so yeah. I went to Bastrop uh, schools a little bit. And so I grew up around his cousins, and and it, I don't know what it was, but Screw hit the country well before it ever hit the cities out here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember having my my June twenty seventh gray tape, you know, and and uh, and I and so like uh, all that stuff was out there, and so really early influences on that stuff. Uh, I forgot where that where that thought was going, but. Well, you you know, sorry, saying being out in Bastrop and it hitting the country before it hit over here. I mean, that was yeah. Like I attribute like like when you when 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 I, I think about like uh, Big Mo and them and then some of those tapes and they're talking about you know and they're they're rapping about the long drive and stuff like that. I'm just like, oh, I know what those guys are talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, because they took that trip a lot. Right. Um, I, I forget where we're going with that, but but yeah, that. that well, I'm just saying, you still play that stuff. You're playing their music. In, oh yeah, in that's right. Yeah, because yeah, I think it's important because that's where that's where the not only does the term slab originate from and Trey and and Jayton and the slab crew and all that. It's not like and the name was formed without me even being there in the beginning. This is somebody else's thing, uh, vision at the time, and and Mark's word was thought was uh, shout out to Mark, uh, founding partner. Mark's vision was like, man, I want to do slab barbecue because I love hip hop. He'd been on UT campus for years, and he was like, he's like, we do our barbecue slow, low, and banging. Mm-hmm. And uh, and because I had, and by that time I had already done some music with some of those SUC guys, and yep. and uh, and I and I had the opportunity to work with them in the studio. And so like when I first heard that, and and because I knew Jason and Trey a little bit from doing work with them, I was like, this is genius it's genius to me i thought it was dope but i was mm-hmm. like it's a barbecue because i love barbecue and uh always have and uh and i just thought the merger between the two there was nothing like it and so it was a real dope fit for me when i got in there and that's and shout out to rev he was the the vision visionary behind like the recruiting me into it because he was one of the guys that i used to work for down on sixth street right nice yeah and so it was his vision of like as far as like recruiting you know, I, I wouldn't say like an artist with another artist that does food and, 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 and his artistry behind, you know, his concept build of a restaurant and flow. And he has his, he has a lot of talents in that way too, but it was, it was his uh, vision of like, yo, I got this thing coming up and I want you to be a part of it. Like somehow, like I want you to come work with us. And it started out as just regular graphic design in the beginning. I designed menus and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And then eventually, as the company grew, my role grew, things got expanded. You know, like anything, you kind of you you evolve in position and, and stuff. And it's what started out as just a guy who's managing social media before social media was like what it is today. Um, Raph had the vision of like, yo, this is a tool we could use, man. Jason, I know you're creative. Like, you're already doing menus and stickers and, and shirts and stuff for us. He was like, you know, could you take this over? And I was like, yeah, I can figure that out. And, that, and that's where it all started uh, within the restaurant. Um, because I already had a, 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 I was hanging out with sous chefs uh, from other restaurants and stuff. Got bars that I would DJ that had restaurants. I would meet like the head chef. And some of them I clicked with and some of them I didn't. Um, and some of them I'd hang out on Sundays and drink beer and barbecue. Mm -hmm. And then that opportunity came up and I was like, I'm down. Dude, I was making no money in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean like 50 bucks here, 75 bucks there. Yep. Yeah, it was wild. That's how you get in it. Yeah. That's how you do it. But DJing introduced that, the relationship though. Yeah. Yeah, DJing because I used to DJ uh, bars that Raph owned, bars and mm -hmm. clubs, Firehouse Lounge in Barcelona. Ah, damn. Yeah. I didn't know. Um, when me and Alberto were pushing hard in BRMG stuff and we used to do an urban meet and greet at South by Southwest, they were at his venues. That's right. Because I used all my local relationships to get my foot in the door because I couldn't afford to compete with some of the, the, the record labels and corporations that could just rent out a venue. Mm -hmm. um, in order to pull off these little bootleg showcases and stuff we did, I had to I had to use my influence as a DJ to be like, hey man, I can't pay you up front, but I can guarantee you I can get this many people in here, and but I need this much money to cover my marketing expenses. And so I ended up working it out to where the bars would pay me to throw those things. That's funny because, like I said, there's so many layers to this and so many things I know you've been involved with and I forget. Like I, I, you bring it up. You bring up those mixers during South by. I, they're all popping back in my head right now. I vividly remember being out there. And Dude, a Static Selector came to Austin because so because me and Alberto brought him down. DJ Eleven came down to Austin uh, because we brought him down. JCO, mm -hmm. um, JCO's doing big things with his EDM stuff nowadays. Um, mm -hmm. He's he's gearing up to drop a whole like full length like album album. Mm -hmm. um, he was uh, at the time. JCO was doing the masters uh, with on and on. Do you remember the mixtape uh, mm -hmm. with the golf thing? Yeah, yeah. God, that mixtape blew my mind. It, it was mashups. It was DJing. It was dope tricks and scratching. It was all that. And then, and then because I was a fan of it, when those mi meet and greet mixers came up, um, I was like, "Yo, can we get on and on and JCO? What would it take to get them here? How much does that cost? How much money do I need to raise from sponsors?" Mm -hmm. um, which all that stuff I learned along the way because I didn't know how to raise money into putting on shows. I sure. I was just thinking about how could I put my buddies on and and you know and and you know I didn't DJ any of those things. Mm -hmm. I DJ none of them. I didn't. I wasn't on none of the bill. I didn't even realize that till today or yesterday actually. Mm. I'd never DJ anything. It was always about putting on other people and the people that I was fans of. Yep. Yeah. So, and I still try to do some of that today. I don't do shows like I used to anymore. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, the meet and greets were fun. Um, What's up, Jessica, Josh, all the yeah, people? Yeah, Jessica the whole Weber. <laughs> so, yeah, so those guys, Jessica, DJ Eleven, they're now married. They're yep. they're awesome. Like, in my mind, music kind of power couple. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, Joe, DJ Eleven, looked out for me in a lot of ways. Uh, he, he brought me on and had me guest with The Rub in New York. Um, when it's the motherfucking remix volume three came out, he called me and he was like, Hey man, I know you do a lot of remixes. Cause I was working, 
I wasn't working for Knickknack, but um, Knickknack had Giga Crate back then. That's right. And and mashups and remixes at the level of what the modern day kind of mashup thing is was just popping off. And because I quit producing for people, but I was concentrating on DJing because I was making money, mm-hmm. um, I just started doing remixes. And I did like 22 remixes, remix like EPs for Giga Crate. Like every couple months, I would like every two months, I would release a new one for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and DJ Eleven w- and the Rubber putting out their twelve inches, selling them through Nick. And I think some of the MP3 stuff. Mm-hmm. So of course, again, always trying to meet the people that I liked. In my travels in New York, I met I met uh, DJ Eleven through like JJ and, and Jessica Weber and some of the other hip hop heads that I hung out with in New York. And uh, and he just hit me up one day and he's like, man, I know you do all these remixes. He was like, do you have one that kind of touches on this and that style? And I was like, yeah, I could send you 10 things right now. It's stuff that, that I heard you say in the Rick episode where you're like, you just got to be prepared. Mm-hmm. I had so much music because I was just trying to put it out as, and get it out as quick as possible. I sent him a ton of stuff. They accepted one. So I got, that was like, you know, a, a big look to me being a nobody DJ from, well, I wouldn't say nobody DJ from Austin, but on that like, national level to get a, on a mixtape because those guys were like moving with Scion then and they had like real checks back then mm-hmm. and then Fat Beats was distributing their vinyl and their mix CDs um, and to be on one of them I was just like what so dope yeah I love that guy man like he but he, he went out of his way and put me on when he didn't have to man yeah that guy I owe him a lot he, he's like one of the flow rocks in my life him Mike Swing like those, those are the guys that that I owe favors to and I can never say no that's dope, man. That's the thing, though. You're DJ protege, and everybody knows you as DJ protege. <laughs> but the beats, like, I knew I've had your music over the years and stuff, but I actually didn't know about the stuff you just said you worked with some of the screwed up click guys. Yeah, a long time ago. That was through nonstop music? Yeah, through nonstop. Uh, like, it's, uh, so on, like, what I, this is my, my, so on the north side, there was like the top dollar, and mm-hmm. then there was there was the there was the the, the screw shop where you can get a custom cards. You know, you can get you get get your gray tapes. On the south side, we had nonstop, mm-hmm. and um, I had always been DJing. I was working with Shorty C from Shorty C and the Funk Fellowship, a, a funk band here in Austin, open up for Steve Steve Warner, guys like that. And uh, me and Chris just did a ton of music together. We were just young dudes. I was making beats. He was rapping and singing. It worked. We kept going. Um, and, uh, that ultimately opened up the door to, because of Doc Holiday, and I ended up hanging out at nonstop music and in nonstop, um, I got the opportunity to sell beats to them. They're like, yo, we want to pick up a bunch of beats. We're doing this album. And, 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 uh, and I was like, cool, that I would love to be down. So I took a bunch of beat CDs and they, they ended up picking up six songs. Wow. Um, those six songs on that, uh, I got uh, ESG. Mm-hmm. I got Trey and Zero. when They were still doing uh, group stuff together. Uh, Dougie, I did song with, with Dougie and all three of them later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I don't know where Dougie was at at the time. Um, I got Doc Holiday, which was dope for me because that was the homie I grew up with. Yep. Um, I ran into Doc Holiday at the Reggae Fest. That was crazy. Yeah, that dude is—he's got this super ill boombox collection. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've got a crazy ill Transformer collection. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I almost bought James Bagley's uh, uh, Transformer collection at one point. Man, yeah, well, you know it's crazy. I, I hadn't seen Doc for a minute, and I guess it was just before the pandemic, sometime maybe 2019 or so. But I was looking. Speaking of gray tapes, I um. 
you know, I got the old school component system over here, yeah. you know, and I yeah. still love cassettes. And uh, I think he has a tape collection well, too. Well, you can't find the, um, like, they don't really make a lot of high bias tapes anymore. It's more that Max Sell and all still have the normal bias. But so I'd look on eBay and things like this for, you know, blocks of tapes, you Just know, and still in the rapper kind of thing. Yeah. And somebody on, uh, on eBay had a 10 pack, I believe of, of XL twos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I want this. And I was like, Oh, it's in Austin. Maybe this guy will just let me come pick it up. You know, like I don't, you know, he doesn't have to ship it or whatever. I'll just come grab it. I wrote in the email. I was like, you know, I'm here in Austin. I want, I, you know, I bought it on, you know, it wasn't like a bid thing. I just bought it. Yeah. And I was like, I'll come pick it up. And he's like, Matt, I was like, yo, what was doc holiday? <laughs> That's yeah. dope. And he had gotten them. I'm not going to tell you where he got them because that's the secret spot where I've also found them as well. But um, <clears throat> I'll tell you later maybe, but not the public. But uh, I, I went have, over there and I got to see his whole whole boombox collection. It was super dope. Yeah. Man, um, that that guy is so dope. Uh, he's one of my favorite rappers of all time. And uh, I, I, I remember being like so proud when, when uh, 787 dropped and, uh, and Blue had did the mm-hmm. beat. And because uh, I, I, I remember going to Blue's apartment because I was hanging out with uh, Set for Life a lot back then. Because like I said, uh, or I mentioned before, is uh, we went to high school together and hung out in Topless a lot. And uh, we did really early recordings of Set for Life at my house um, back on four track cassette. And so and when they kind of took it to the next level and I wasn't able to record or produce music mm-hmm. at that, where they needed to take it. Um, but they made sure to like, you know, Sean, Sean Price, Will Hustle, still family to this day. He, I mean, they made sure like to let me know, like, yo, we're going to the blues house. He's going to, he's going to do this beat. And then that was the kind of the beginning of that, that whole, uh, you know, seven, eight, seven song. And it was, mm-hmm. uh, to me, it felt like it was the first time Austin was really represented on the level, like the way the Houston would represent itself. And, uh, and it just so happened it to, it to be some really close friends of mine that, I, that I thought were the illest thing ever. I mean, those are the days, and you're right. Doc Holiday was one of the best to do it. I know, try. I've been trying like, to get that dude to do a record with me. I mean, hit him up. Everybody's doing stuff now. We're all like came out of the hole yeah. or something, you know. Like it's a it's a new beginning. Yeah, yeah. You know, like um, we we talked about uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the league the other night. Right. Um, I love league all those guys. Geez. Yeah, shout out to those guys, man. Um. Me and Reggie, man, we met at like, I don't know, probably like eight, 17, 18, maybe 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was uh, recording with Shakuri. Uh, I can't remember the name of their group. I, and I met them while doing college radio. Uh, my partner manager, Alberto, uh, was their manager at the time. And he just came by the radio show and dropped off vinyl. That's how we met. Mm-hmm. And Reggie happened to be a dude that was making beats for them back in the day. Okay. And didn't drive then either. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh and and then so as that we all hung out all the time. It was like our own like little outcast dungeon family in the south side because we were all on the four or five and they were across the street of South First and I was on the west side of South First. And mm-hmm. so we hung out a lot, drank a lot. Um that's where I met Tay. And uh there's been studio sessions where Reggie and Tay had to drive me home because we I tried to keep up with Tay drinking in the studio, it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, 211 steel reserve i think it is or something oh, like that man. i was rough it was rough but but yeah those are those are all the guys man and uh i i, I the, those league guys man and just to see some of the evolution of what everybody's done within it um i ran into i ran in 
talking about Reggie, ran into Reggie at, at the Black Puma studio. Mm -hmm. I was there um, while Mojo was recording some stuff that my partner Raph is, is helping them with. Third and, Root? Yeah, Third Root. But root it wasn't stuff. actually Third Root. It was more of the Mojo stuff. Oh, still Mojo. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just, I think I think Chicken George did some cuts oh, yeah. on that at some point. Him and Corrupt Might Have. I can't remember. There's been a lot of people working on that project. Mm -hmm. and, and But Raph was like, yo, you want to come through and take some photos? And um, I've always kind of seen myself as an artist. I've always dabbled in photography and painting and drawing and all these goofy little hobbies of mine. And of course, being ready, I was like, yeah, dude, my camera's charged. My, my flash is good. I was like, I just got this 35 mil like fixed lens. I was like, I'm in. So I just went and uh, spent a, a night, uh, multiple nights. I probably spent three or four days there in those recording sessions, mm. just hanging out and taking photos, not even saying I do music. They, John Keys had no idea who I was. Mm -hmm. You know, I met John Keys there and, 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 you know, I'd say he's a, you know, kind of a, a, a acquaintance now and I, I like what he does. But uh, I was there just to take photos, and I didn't do anything but that. Mm -hmm. And then until so Reggie came by, and Reggie was like, bro, what you doing here? And I was like, dude, I'm taking photos. And, and, and then everybody's like, wait, you know this guy? I was like, ah, oh, man, we grew up together. We've been making music around each other our entire life. Yeah, man. Yeah. Small I'll world. I'll tell you right. I'll tell you right now, man, that was a losing Tay, losing SB, the 6th Street Bully, was yeah. a huge loss for myself personally and for this city and this scene because he was mm -hmm. a force, man. And you talk about League of Extraordinary G's, of course, he was he formed that. But he was also a big positive energy for the scene in general. Like, I think he was a yeah. he was crazy, too. He, he, he wasn't always positive with everybody, but he was like his energy alone – Mm -hmm. ignited a lot in this city when he was when he was really doing it man like he was a, an integral part of this music scene and mm -hmm. when and he passed it uh it took a lot of wind out of me for sure it was i i thought about when when, when he passed away i thought about like the stuff that we had did growing up and and i thought about those things initially like wow like i was just hanging out with this dude kind of thing and and he was the league was really starting to take off and and they were traveling more and stuff. And then it just, it, I think it, it was one of the first instances of losing a friend. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, that, and it was, it almost didn't feel real. It doesn't. It, it, that's at the, at the time it didn't, it didn't feel real because again, at that age, like it was just a matter of that doesn't happen. No. I'm 42 now. I've had a, a number of friends that have passed away. Uh, we talked about Crop Diggy a little bit. Yeah. You know, and and, and and it doesn't take the sting out of it anymore. Mm -mm. But at the time, at that time, it was one of the first times like anybody I knew and, and cared about, like, you know, from my tribe had passed away. And so like, that's, that's what the shock for me was. It was like, what, what? No, I've, we, I saw him at A3C that year, you know, weeks before it happened and he was, he had had to stop in, I think, Baton Rouge on the way out there to go to an emergency room for some pain in his chest. And I was like, man, you know, you got to take care of yourself. Go back, you know, when you get home, this mm -hmm. and that. And uh, speaking of Breckenridge, which brilliant, amazing, Austin closed its one public hospital. That's real cool, Austin. But um, <laughs> he went to Breckenridge, and they basically, from what I understood, Bavu called me right after, and he's the one who told me. But when uh, he went in with this chest pain and, as he walked out, he he fell on the street and died. I I, and I that's believe like, that's, that's some heavy, of the... man. That's that's like that kills me, man. Thinking about you know and Cree, Crop Diggy, and I mean we lost Overlord in the past few years. 
Dude. Like these are dudes who like they real foundations and really did yeah. it for us too. They didn't just do these were not these are selfless people who did it for the community, not just for themselves. And it's like, man, it's been it's been heavy. So I got to know Overlord over the years because in in the the way I think of like hip hop and and Austin, it, it there's like and even every city I think there's generations and there's time periods, and before I I was running around with Alberto and and doing stuff at KRX on 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 air with Swing, excuse me, like there, there was there was people like him. Uh, there was a group out of South Oz. I wouldn't say there was South Oz. I could be wrong, but uh, the Plowboys. Yep. Um, and, and and I got to I got to know Big Don later because uh, I used to play at Lucky Lounge. Oh man, and he used to play at Lucky Lounge. Just he would do like the hip hop stuff, and I knew him from his pedigree was that he was an Austin MC. And he hosted like an original hip hop night and would rap with a live band and did his own thing kind of. And it was in, it was way ahead of his time in that way, way before like a hump day was happening. You know what I mean? Um, Cause hump day did stuff like that. But I think like uh, the, the precursor to, to the hump day stuff was like an MC overlord, you know? And, 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 but when I got to finally get the chance to get to know him and got to meet him, like that guy was a giant teddy bear, man. And, yeah. and like, there's certain people that 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 I just absolutely love and like that like that's like the big brother way. Oh man! And, and that guy, like, I mean, I'm six foot tall. You know, I'm not tall, but I'm I'm above average. I mean, he was two what, at least six five, give or take a few. And and he was a big guy, and so yeah. like he would dap it up, and he would always like you know like give you the bear hug and squeeze you, and and it, but he was always this loving dude, and I was like. Dude, it's like one of the coldest rappers ever, and he's like really done in his own way, and like it was, it, it was just interesting to 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 get to know him. You know what I mean? I mean, he did precede all that stuff, and he knocked a lot of doors down downtown Austin, mm-hmm. and you know, but performing with the live band, he, I didn't know that type of stuff was possible. He knocked some up. of the stigma off, I think, of of hip hop by mm-hmm. being such a cool dude, and mm-hmm. also playing with the live band and going in front of any crowd. I think mm-hmm. he's the first rapper I saw in Austin during. Uh, I mean, I think it was like 91 South by or something. It was early when I didn't even really know what South by was. I just heard that this thing was happening up here. And then somebody said that's, it was, uh, I don't know if it was hip hop city or the sanitarium yet, but that was Elysium Mm -hmm. was the venue. Yes. And it was either hip hop city or sanitarium. I don't remember what era exactly those, those clubs. I don't remember it as being a hip hop city. That could be before me. Yeah. It was a long time ago. But, uh, (laughs) the, uh, I mean, I swear he was the first person that came out yeah. on that show, and it was all just like you know local people that I, I didn't know about. I can't remember what year it was. Uh, I, I had to be like maybe seventeen or eighteen. Uh, I ended up meeting Nook mm-hmm. again because I was always going to all these hip hop shows. I ended up meeting Nook, and I was DJing, and Nook was just like, "Man, I'm looking for a DJ." Like, and I was like, "Okay, cool." I didn't know nothing about how these conversations work, and he's like, "Look, I got a show." Um, I can't remember the name of that bar on Sixth Street. That was a bi level bar. It was a lot of hip hop stuff. There was a shooting there back in the Spiros? day. Spiros? Nah, it's way before Spiros. Way before Spiros. Yeah, yeah it was on Sixth Street, um, near near um, the Bob Popular area. Was Not it as far. Catfish Station, because Catfish mm-hmm. Station is what Vulcan is now. It was it was a corner bar. Start mm. cut of spirits, I think it was. Yeah, spirits was a thing. That's true. Yeah, That's and sure, it was yeah. if I remember right, it was two floor. And he took me to a hip hop show there. And he, keep in mind, hip hop to me was very much like because I was hanging out with 
like you know like i said uh uh jeff and 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 les jacobs and like like the kbrx hip-hop crew and so when he took me to his show it was it was like texas hip-hop southern hip-hop and that was the first time i'd seen those artists actually perform and i was like wait these guys get on stage too and i had no idea because i'd been around what i thought was like hip-hop hip-hop mm-hmm. you know and then and you kind of learn and evolve and you're just like dude it's all hip-hop it's just that they just got a different a different vibe and uh but i didn't end up djing for nook but that's how i met him is because he he was looking for a dj and he had me go to a show mm-hmm. and uh, i went to a show at spirits and yeah so i know a lot of those older guys just through the, again trying to meet everybody and just shake everybody's hand but that was a cool thing back then coming here to Austin was the diversity of the crowd and uh-huh. and, and the in the early days of Austin hip hop. Like you be in Houston, you know, I saw Common at like some straight hood club. Like <laughs> I saw, and you know, when and at the hood club, I'm sorry, but like a lot of those are pretty like almost the equivalent of a shot bar. Like they're selling drinks, yeah. And then those rappers are coming on about two a.m. They're going to get every penny out of you until they come on late and the sound isn't there. And then you come to Austin and be like in a proper venue. Man. It's like electric lounge would be sounding good, looking good. And Artists being, going you know, on at one thirty in the morning will get you really jaded in hip hop shows. Oh yeah. That was my whole, that was my life from like 17 to 20. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. About you know, the same. Young, like, yeah. About the same. Those, you know, there was a picture. I forgot where it surfaced. There was a picture that had surfaced and it was, uh, I think it was, Electric Lounge, and it might have been Nick on stage. It was a hip hop mecca show. I was in the front row of the crowd, like next to JD and and JD. Yeah, man, and rest in peace. That's another one. I'm I think about, Jeff was man. next to me because uh, those are all the guys that I hung out with, mm-hmm. and uh, and and Red Kool Aid might have been in the crowd next to me. And but I, again, I was at every single show, and I was always like wanting to be a part so this random picture pops up and i happen to be front row with all those guys because that's what we did all the time mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty cool yeah that was yeah less little tigers who called me to tell me jd had passed yeah that was a wild one too because uh when oh. i go to new york those, those are the guys that i would hang out with because i would stay i was staying in williamsburg uh with double j mm-hmm. and because all my ut homies had not all of them but a lot of them had moved up there uh, Kool-Aid, Les Jacobs, uh, Brent moved up there. Mm-hmm. So it was a whole clique of people that, that are all, strangely, all originated from Houston, yep. came to Austin for school. And then, so when they graduated, kind of there was like a, a lull in the hip-hop scene for a little bit. And that's kind of when things started to change. But whenever I went to New York, I made sure to always call them. We'd go play dominoes and drink beer and, you know, just hang out, the same homies. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then those meet and greets uh, later, years later on, me and Alberto we ended up Do doing those. In New York. Yeah, we do them at CMJ. We did them, we did it South by Southwest because we felt like that was our our, our, our home turf, our backyard kind mm-hmm. of thing. I don't think we ever did Urban Network, although I went to Urban Network and Gavin and stuff like that. But CMJ was really where we concentrated because I think because I came up in the college radio scene, so I really resonated with the other with with that whole mixtape and underground scene, and so it was always that for me. Um, I didn't get paid to do pop clubs till years later. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, those are the days, man, for sure. Well, let's. We, I want to talk about some of your production because you have a new release out, and I think we should take a quick musical break, play a couple tracks sure. from that. Sure. What's it called? What's the new it's, one? The, the new album's called My Gospel. My Gospel. I listened to that on Spotify, and there's definitely a theme running through it through the beats. Yeah. So that whole album. So I so I have a process, and and I never really realized it till till I started thinking, sitting down, and trying to think. 
understand myself a little more. My aunt's a psychologist, and so I always ask these really nerdy questions. And one day she was like, oh, blah, she was explaining to my cousin's wife. She was like, oh, yeah, Jason does this, and this is his process. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that I have a method. I just thought that I free float. But when I started looking at it, that, I go to Goodwill a lot. I have my favorite Goodwills. I know where I like to buy my vinyl. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that entire album, uh, all my stuff comes from Goodwills, to be honest, uh, at least the bass samples. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've always liked sampling old gospel records. And I had this idea of like, of what if I just put together an album of just gospel samples, but the beats would have to be right. And I tried to get rappers to work on it with me mm-hmm. mcs that i liked homies nothing ever panned out and 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 it just sat on me to where i was like you know it's still a cool idea the beats are still there what if i took the time to finish it um so even though it's called my gospel i don't consider it a a christian album or anything in that way the my, the my gospel part of it is like it's all gospel samples from old 70s 60s 70s dusty records um and and the gospel in it for me is like my gospel is hip hop and making beats. This is again the nerdy hip hop kid way of thinking, and and I was like that's that's what I'm gonna do because I have all these beats uh, cataloged, but then there's a lot of gospel beats, and I was like I like that. It's easy for me to compartmentalize that and package it in that visual kind of sonic way because I'd already did the work. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's tell you a couple cuts off this real quick here. Give the people a little sampling, and then I want to come back and talk more about some of your other works because I know we're only t- scratching the surface <laughs> here. You are tuned in to Talk So Real with Matt Zanzala. My guest today is DJ Protege. Here's a little something off his new album entitled My Gospel. I listen to it on Spotify. You can probably hear it on all the same platforms you can hear Talk So Real on, so go look for that. After you're finished with this, we'll be right back. I'm talking to you if, if anybody's trying to get where I'm going. I'm going to talk to you tonight about the importance of the Holy Ghost. The importance of the Holy Ghost. Son of God 
is being promoted through radio. Basically, this whole album you said is gospel records you found at thrift shops, yeah, and sampled, yeah, very specifically in Bastrop. Has your career as a producer always been pretty sample based, like just a record digger and finding the finding those? Cuts? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. um, that, that's where it stemmed from. Because I don't yeah. know how to read sheet music. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. I could play piano by hearing stuff and match notes up sometimes depending on if you pitch the samples there's always you know it could be a little tricky because notes will fall in weird zones but Mm -hmm. everything i know i've learned how to play just from tinkering and playing keyboard stuff and try to make something sound cool but it's all based in sampling because i wasn't raised in a music family my introduction to music was oh that guy's got a sampler that must be how you make beats and just be dumb enough to go spend the money and, and try to figure it out, you know? Um, but yeah, it started on, on an MPC and then equipment involved into like Triton came out the Korg Triton. That was a big deal. Um, the Roland XP, I think it was like the XP 60 and XP 80. Um, I remember blue, uh, that did the, the set for life, uh, 787 song. That's what that was produced on. If I remember right, it was a Roland XP 60, I think. Hmm. Cause, uh, I wanted that keyboard, man. But I just I just Dang. couldn't afford it at the time. Man, that's where I would be in South Austin with Cree with, with Crab Diggy and them, mm-hmm. <clears throat> watching them play with their instruments. And I was never I never jumped into that because it was always like it, these things look so mysterious to me. Like, <laughs> how did all these sounds come out of this little thing? Imagine you know? being like seventeen years old, seventeen eighteen years old. You get an MPC two thousand XL by borrowing a credit card, right? I know nobody with this stuff. I know what a turntable is because I had been you know DJing with like I said Flow Rock. And nobody knew anything about this, and I don't think I was at the the the, the friendship level with, to where I could have called the knickknack or somebody who would have known. Um, I knew who they were, but I wasn't. They weren't, you know, friends yet. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Um, and so like I get this thing in the mail and it's this giant box and then it's like, you turn it on. It's like, what do I do now? How do you, how does it make sounds? How do you get the sounds into it? So mm-hmm. yeah, that was, that, that took a while and like music, um, like floppy disks. Yeah. It's still, uh, I still had the floppy drive on it still. Yeah. I kept, I kept my original NPC. Um, cause I made so much music on it and it, I'm, I'm never going to get what it's worth, whether it be emotionally or even physically, uh, as a, as a unit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I produced for ESG on that thing. Yeah. You know, that's a guy I like, I idolize, I don't want to say idolize, but I mean, sailing in the South, you know, an ocean of funk, man, those are like game changer albums in Texas. Big and time. then, so to listen to that in 93 and 95, and then to be in like 99, 98, 99. And I had, and I was able to produce for him and record him in my studio in South Austin, like I was mind blown. Like I, I was, I remember being in the studio and I was so kind of like, holy shit, like he's here, but, but trying to be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting thing. Are any of those records out on streaming services? You know, I'm not sure. It was on the nonstop album. Right. Um, and then there was records I did with, like I said, with, with Trey. And then there was stuff I did with Trey and Zero because Trey and Zero after the nonstop album, we kept in touch. Mm-hmm. And so whenever they would come to Austin and sell verses to people, um, they would be like, well, we got to record at Protégé's place. Man. And so Trey would call me and, and ask, and, and we, you know, cause there was no texting back then. Yeah. And then, uh, he was like, yo, I'm going to sell a verse to old boy. I need you to do the recording. Da, da, da. And I was like, okay, cool. Done. Bet. So they'd come in, I'd just be the engineer. And, uh, I, you know, so Trey would do the verse. He'd take off. I, once I mixed stuff down, I'd give it to whoever bought the verse, you know, and I would get, I would get paid for doing the engineering side of it. And, uh, and there was records, so I got, I think my first official, like, kind of artist credit, like, publicized, written down, was, uh, I think it was on Trey's second album. I got no money for it, but it was just, like, production credit, because I helped on a, I started a song in Austin, and Trey asked if he could take uh, the, the, the samples with him back to Houston, to, uh, he wants to show it to a buddy of his, so they could maybe do something with it, because he liked it, and he wanted to elevate it, and I was like, yeah, dog, I'm just down for whatever. So I ended up getting uh, production credits on his second album, solo mm. album. I think it was the second one, Dope. Um, but th- it was because I met them through nonstop and, and for whatever reason, like I was able to connect with them and still do a little bit of work for a while with them. So that's pretty cool. Dope. Yeah, it's cool. It was different. Um, it's hard to imagine. Like I would be able to do those things. I mean, the connection between Austin and Houston isn't always as obvious as some might think, but it's like, it goes so deep, mm. especially in those days. I mean, now too, but I mean, back then, like this was, I always said this. I've lived in both cities and I'm not from either originally, but like <clears throat> if you live in Houston, you need a little Austin in your life. If you live in Austin, you need to go get your yeah. ass kicked in Houston a little bit. Yeah. You know, you I need agree. to go see cause you live here. It's really nice in a lot of ways. There's, there's, a, there's all kinds of it shit. It ain't like Houston here. though. Houston got but a little, like, little grime to it. Houston is a, but it's also just, I tell people all the time too. I would have told you like, all right, man, you're working with these Houston dudes. Watch out. <laughs> you know what? I got to say my experience in you, work. Trey work, and them are good people. Like, yeah, that's what I was about to say. A lot of these motherfuckers, man, like these Austin guys are too nice for the hustle. These hustlers that are going to hustle you out of whatever they can hustle out of. I, I feel like uh, because I, I kind of grew up doing music in South Austin. So mm-hmm. I already experienced what shady promoters and shady like mm-hmm. uh there's people that just wanted to buy beats that were just dope boys. Even back then, that just they, you know, they would just sell a bunch of weed and want to buy records because they wanted to rap in the hood and kind of thing. And 
And I would do stuff like that too. But that's kind of how I learned the difference between like, oh, this dude's really doing it. And this other guy's just got dope money. Yeah. Um, because when training came, came, came into Austin, like I said, they would drive into Austin, record at my place uh, in zero two. Uh, and they, they would just drive into town. And I already knew who they were because like I said, I had, I had been listening to screws from the early nineties and uh, they would drive into town. We'd record might chop it up for a small, like 20, 30 minutes in it before and after, but then they would drive right back to Houston. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was wild to me, but he did, but they did it all the time. It was normal for them. And, uh, but I just didn't, you know, I did my part and I played my role and I tried to make it not awkward, even though like, these are still like really cool moments for me, even though no, none of us were who we are today. Like I'm still kind of a nobody guy, but in, but then like Trey, he, Trey's Texas. Like in, in what I know about Trey, the philanthropy he's doing now, he was doing then too, mm-hmm. you know? So no, I tell people all the time. Um, cause I'm still pissed about the band in Houston and I think it's some bullshit. And, mm-hmm. but, uh, my cracking brothers got, got ripped on the radio because of that. What's uh, that? The got, got kicked off. The no, radio they did. Yeah, I know that was ridiculous. And I was one of the only people that really tried to stand up for those dudes mm-hmm. and for Trey and them. And like, it was really sad to see nobody really stand up, but um, and that was over a mixtape verse. That's so ridiculous. No, it's bullshit. But the fact of the matter is, um, I would the Ghetto Boys podcast they do now. They had uh, I'm terrible at I can't remember the, the woman who started uh, No More Victims is a is an advocacy group for children whose parents are in prisons. Mm-hmm. Trey brought her to my radio show in Houston. I'm talking about not quite 20 years ago, but like years ago and close to 20 years ago, he's been, he was one of the people that started that with her and worked with her that then Mm. he was like 20. That's cool. You know, he was young. He's been the realist activist in the community there, which is the mm -hmm. hardest thing for me to deal with with it. That anyone could have any power over him. It's not like they have power of him, but like they can ban him when he's one of the good ones for real. Well, what I saw in that was, I was just like, I just couldn't believe like how, how like it was, became like my team versus your team thing, you know, like, and you really kind of saw like some of the gatekeepers trying to throw their weight around is what it felt like. It's like, oh, you don't want to be, you want to, you want to badmouth us? Then we are not going to put you on the radio. Even though even then he was huge in Houston and huge in central Texas. And then, and to take like one of the biggest artists off in his own city, it it just there was a, I don't know it, it just seems like there's a lot of ego in that of like oh we run things and we're gonna prove it to you that's no, what it that's hard. what it looked like from the outside you know looking in is that they were trying to you know corporate radio we we still control this mm-hmm. and and I think that they they were wrong in every sense of the word yeah it's ridiculous still are to this day to this day yeah ten years later it's ridiculous um, but man, I know he was doing that stuff back then and it's really uh. I'm, you know, he's a blessing to be mm. honest. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I hadn't talked to Trey in a long time. Uh, he did it. I think it was an album release party at Nice Kicks. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Mike Swing had introduced introduced me to the owner of Nice Kicks well before the store opened. Uh, and then because we've all you know DJs and hip hop heads always bought bought shoes and sneakers. So when I heard about that, uh, you know, and I was introduced and then. 
I DJed the grand opening with Swing. I think Bun came by and hosted mm-hmm. that day. I got pictures of me DJing and Nice Kicks with Bun B, like, you know, hosting, and I'm holding my son as a baby. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah like, you know. And, I'm uh, I was there. Yeah. So I've got to do some cool stuff in that world. But uh, what was I going to say? Uh, how's that uh, tie in? I'm sorry. I got sidetracked. Um, oh, that's right. Trey's yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So I ended up doing Trey's, uh, DJ and Trey's al- uh, album release party. And Allison from Nice Kicks hit me up and she was like, hey, um, I need a DJ for this day. Trey the Truth is going to come in and we're going to we're going to kind of debut his album and and, and he's just going to hang out and people are going to buy some stuff. And I was like, I'm in. Let's go. And then so and this and at that point, it had probably been shoot five to 10 years since I'd actually seen Trey. And then uh, so I'm DJing and Trey's doing his thing and I'm really trying to give him his space because I had a job to do. I had to entertain mm-hmm. while Trey entertained, took pictures and signed autographs and stuff. Yep. And so I tried to play my role and be respectful. Um, but as he was leaving, he came up to me and he was like, yo, man, I appreciate what you did. Thanks for rocking. He's like, you did a good job. I was like, Trey, I was like, do you remember me from the South Side? You used to come uh, record in the original Blue Room in Blue Studio in South Side. He was like... I do. And he was like, bro. And so he was like, he's like, man, you ever need anything? Call me. He gave me a cell phone number. And he's like, you ever need anything? He's like, I'm serious. You call me. I got you. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, I'm DJing. I'm actually doing pretty good. But I just thought it was dope because the guy I had met before that would drive to Houston. I mean, from drive from Austin. And I think at the time, if he wanted me to record for free, he could have asked that and I would have did it. And he still made sure I got paid then. Mm-hmm. And then when he saw me, and, I, and he had already taken off to a whole nother level at that point. And I was well aware of it. You know what I mean? When, when those guys take off, they're they're gone. Mm-hmm. You know, and I try to be respectful uh, in that situation. And so we talked about it. And he was like, dude, call me if you have anything. And I was like, cool, I appreciate it. And and he was that same guy, though. You know, the same guy that made sure that I made a couple hundred bucks. How much you need to record? I don't know, 300 bucks. He's like, done. I get it for you. You know, and so it was dope that he was kind of still that guy. And, and um I think I think at that time I was already bald back in the day I had hair kind of thing you yeah. know but it but it was dope and he's still that dude man and and I and I appreciate that authenticity yeah me too man for real what uh what other releases have you had over time I mean because I've had stuff I remember with the Giga Crate days I remember mm-hmm. that stuff and that that brought up a lot of memories but tell me some of the other stuff you put out over the years um, and other artists I've with. got some unreleased stuff that that I did with Zero in the studio in South Austin. Um, I don't I don't know whatever happened to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I want to say a buddy of mine in Metopolis that was really mix came mixtape game kind of deep. Uh, um, shout out to to kid. Um, I want to say he had told me Zero had released it on a mixtape at some point or another. I don't really remember. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have I got to do? But you had other beat projects too for yourself, right? Yeah, so I've got I've got four solo albums out yeah. now plus a single or two. Um, so the first album is called I Am Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that. That was about the time I I kind of was getting really frustrated with MCs and rappers because I just felt like I couldn't get nothing done, you know. And and the people that were doing uh, the artists that were doing things on the on the on the MC and the writer side had their own their own uh, their own momentum and their own thing going. And being that we're all friends, I respected that. But on my end, the people that I was working with just weren't, they were getting tired. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't work like that. So so it, out comes I Am Pro 1. It was just a matter of, well, I don't have rappers. Here's a beat album. Mm-hmm. Way too many songs. Nothing was done not probably the way I probably should have. But at least I got it out kind of thing. Um, and then I Am Pro 
two dropped, which was a little bit more, I was able to dial it in and figure out how to make production sound different without having vocalists on it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, because I've been in the, the dance club scene for such a long time playing house music, and uh, I still love making samples, so I was like, well, I can make a, 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 a like a disco album just off samples and then so i did that and then i started playing keys and synths on top of it and so i actually have a disco album out just because i was like damn i make music man like I, and, you know so i put out a disco album called disco gypsy mm-hmm. um I what had, year was that uh i don't know maybe 2019 I okay can't, i can't so remember not that long ago. yeah, yeah so i've tried to put out something continuously uh for the past couple of years since i've stepped back from djing because now that i've stepped back from djing on a full-time thing it's opened uh my time up a little bit mm-hmm. um and then uh after disco gypsy um came my gospel yeah um and 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 even for me i see the evolution in in like the number of tracks the way the tracks are sequenced the type of uh, mixing I'm doing, um, all that changes over time. But yeah, so four four solo projects. Okay. Um, uh, so Cracker Nuts as a crew, we released. Uh, we did. We had a partnership uh, with the uh, Texas Scratch League, and shout out to uh, Lottie Da and Abe that originally started that. And and then Lottie Da had the idea. He's like, "Yo, he's like, I've got this Texas Scratch League. It, it's a straight up record label at this point, is what I would. But for scratch DJs, kind of thing." And he was like, I want to start moving more into um, production realm of it and do an original album. So he was like, but I also want to put out like a, another scratch record. And he was like, I think it'd be dope if we did a Cracker Nuts record. Because mm-hmm. um, I've been in Cracker Nuts for a long time. And, and my ties to Houston go way back. Like I said, the KVRX with all my friends that came from Houston. Uh, and then, you know, meeting Clean Cut back in the day. And so it was a real natural fit. And so we put out, of a, we put out a seven inch uh, with Texas Scratch League. We put out a seven inch scratch record. Um, I got uh, Lottie Dot put out another in, an instrumental album, minimal scratch record. And again, he wanted to move more into original production, mm-hmm. and he was trying to put on homie. So, um, I think Nick has a, a song on there. Um, Alf Leone might have a track on there. I think Bounds has a track. I have a track. So it was a bunch of like producers that he knew, and he put out you know vinyl, and it was like a compilation album. So I got to do some some of those things too. Um, but then that's just on the music end. That's the fun stuff. That's mm-hmm. just on the music end. Um, on the on the other projects, like you know, I can't begin to tell you like how many pieces of clothing I've designed. Really? Yeah, for like the slab stuff. I didn't. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I designed yeah. all that stuff, man. Sure, there was like was like some input between everybody and sharing of ideas. But I mean, I was the guy who produced and designed it, and the slip mats I brought you. Yeah, those are dope. Um, that's again my tribe, man. Want to keep it real, and and uh, that that was something that was important to me. Uh, not and also to my partners too. Is like be authentic to ourselves. But and I then, know you used to you did flyers back in the day too. Yeah, so the flyers. That's that how, like, where it all kind of evolved from the marketing stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so that's where that all came from is because uh, I was doing club flyers yep. and it started with cheesy flyers like you know with the girls in their bikinis in the late nineties, mm-hmm. and then it evolved and then there was like a. During the neo soul era, a lot of the, <laughs> this is just funny, but you could tell the, the dating of it because a lot of the flyers started using like organic raw paper tones yeah. and and like the like the pastel grays and greens. It was a real style period into that that whole time period of like the, the neo soul movement. And my my art in the graphic design world reflected that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what introduced me to uh marketing was because i started out doing graphic design and just simple street team promotional stuff 
And then I got recruited by a, a company called SBR. No, they're no longer open. They're, they're like a festival company. Mm-hmm. And they recruited me. Um, they met me as a DJ and then started finding out like, oh, you do this? Oh, you do that? I didn't know you could do that. And I was like, yeah, well, I've been around a while. I've just always been an independent. And, you know, I've always kind of made my own lane kind of thing the best that I could. And so I got recruited to be the art director for, in the art department for that music festival, curating like the look and the bringing the logo and the imagery to life and stuff like that. And, and uh, so I had like this whole spinoff of like what marketing did, which really paid off um, later on down the road within Slab. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. really cool, man. I, we got to go check out Slab again, man. Oh, we no, gotta, we're going today. Gotta, we're going today. Yeah, we got to do that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely going to be having like nap food today. <clears throat> that's that shit. That's what I'm saying. Well, what else is coming up for you, man? What's going down? You got uh, anything in the works right now? I mean, the, um, you got a new release. Yeah, so my gospel is out. That that's out. It's it's. I designed that specifically to go through like a one a one take listen, mm-hmm. not a one take listen, but just listen from beginning to end. Like, no, it does work. I put it's I put cool, a lot so. of thought. I put a lot of is thought. It, in. Is there physical copies or is it just straight no? Right in? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't have the budget like that anymore because no. it's all just me. Like, I don't have a team anymore. I don't have a manager anymore. And so, like, what what what's been important to me was creating like. It, if I don't have the finances to go out and do vinyl in the way I want, I was like, that's cool. At least I can create in my mind what's the best sonic experience possible, at least to my abilities, without calling in Stevie Wonder to help me play something kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I can do. So what I did is I focused on the, 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 the acoustics of it. Um, I, I focused really intently on trying to, man, I went through so many hours of, of old preachers services, trying to find like the right sound bites to tie together to where the, the beats were held together, almost like what a glue of service in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think along the lines of like every album that I really love from Illmatic to AT aliens to, uh, Nas and Hit Boy's newest album, like there's a real flow to the the acoustics and everything. And, and I wanted, I was like, you know, I want to. That's where I need to be on everything I do. And that's my learning curve from like the first album to to my gospel was figuring out like where's that middle ground of of what I want to make and 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 the stuff that makes sense to make mm-hmm. because you can make a beat all day. But but to get behind an idea and a concept and really work towards that goal that that takes a little more thinking, um, and it took a while too. Um, the the cover is an abandoned church I pass by every day, taking my kid to school. Mm-hmm. Um, all the all the songs, like I said, were from Goodwill. And uh, again, my gospel was designed on the on the concept of my gospel. If you relate that to any kind of like symbolism and, and wordplay, like in hip hop, my gospel is just I like to make beats and sample, yep. and that's kind of where that where that all evolved from. And and so, but moving forward from there, um, I just finished up a remix for Headcrack uh, and the Bodega Brothers Travine Keynote. Uh, they had a single drop called uh, Rampage. Mm-hmm. I did a remix for that, and uh, oh man, with Headcrack, and, yeah, that's yeah, dope. it's fire, dude. Like they sent me a dope song. And and I and I I approached it from the way of like I I don't care if they like it I just want to reinvent it and so I completely changed the way the song feels. Um, you DJed for them for a while too, right? Yeah, I was doing a lot of South by Southwest type showcases yep. for them, um, which is dope. I, I again, I would sh- I didn't get paid for anything. Crack was like, yo, our DJ's not really happening. Like you know all our music because like we we're homies and I'd been doing beats for them on the side. 
I used to DJ uh, for Headcrack in Dallas when I lived in Dallas at Vic, uh, Victor Grill. I think it's Victor. No, Caribbean Grill. Yeah. Did Monday night fights with Priest TD. Man. Uh, and we and so it's like an MC battle every Monday night. Mm-hmm. Um, so that relationship as I moved back and and so when they came back into town and they saw that I was doing all these shows and stuff, putting on shows is like I guess you would call me a promoter at that point. Um, it just kind of fell in. They're like, "Yo, you got? Can you do this show? We got six shows lined up. Can you do this one?" I was like, "Yeah, I'll be there. Don't worry about it." And so I ended up doing all of them. Ended up doing between their showcases and my performances and in the hosted showcases, something like three or four shows a day. Yeah, I bet. And that's kind of where that like that relationship stemmed from was just me just being, tell me where to be, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. No money, I'll be there. And uh, dude, I was taking equipment down Sixth Street in the middle of South by Southwest when you can't walk, like turntables yeah. on dollies. It sucked. It was awesome, but it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I love South by. I, I do say that. So I wonder why people, how these bands and stuff do this, man, because it is so. It's that tough. Rough. That load in and load out is oof. I don't I don't think South by Southwest is what artists think it is. In in the way of like the performance. I see value in the in the community and and, and the networking that you find within it because the artists are all going to be there because that's what what the place is to be. Everybody's going to have one or two stages, maybe maybe five stages. Mm-hmm. But the, but the but it's not the performance that's why the artists are there. That was nutty. <laughs> if y'all heard that in recording, that's real thunder and lightning. Yeah. Um, First rain we've had in a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the uh, but the connections within that, right? So mm-hmm. so the, that that connection uh, is like the real big thing, and that's what I missed about like <laughs> I heard you say on a, on, a, on one of the other episodes about the Dorito stage, and I and and I hated that yeah. so much. Not in the sense of what you said, but I hated the Dorito stage. Yeah. Cause when they, when I was like Gaga and fit boy, I was like, what is South by Southwest? I was like, this was where you, you would go to be heard by a and R and maybe get an indie sign deal or some yeah. type of distribution. Um, it's not like that. Uh, the last time I felt like it was what I thought it was, was probably one this, <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this year. This year's one was pretty chill. Man. Yeah. It's pretty dope this year. Uh, yeah. It was when I, I helped, Put on um, Beat Society when Beat Society was doing live showcases with Jim Drew, mm-hmm. um, and and I I again just because I knew Jim through JJ and then they have they have uh, Foundation Media and and so that there was that connection and then uh, so Jim is also Jim Drew shout out to Jim Soulspasm like that's who um, uh, my distribution goes through okay um, but that came through because I met Jim because of Beat Society. And they needed a venue, and I helped from while he was in New York. I helped coordinate everything, put everything on, and I want to say it might have been like Babu or like a Jake One, a Kev Brown, and a Marco Polo or something like that. I, can't, I remember Torre was there. Um, that's when he was working at Soul Spasm too, um, which I'm a fan of Torre too. Mm-hmm. He's dope. Uh, and then that, uh, but but doing those shows, that connection is how I ended up, you know. Uh, getting with with soul spasm for distribution was because uh i knew jim and i knew jim and jj did that and i know that jim had that had like the rj d2 and and like the uh the blue and exile connection from what he was doing uh with his records even before uh soul spasm um and and so i was like man well i was like if i'm trying to do an instrumental album that guy gets it because mm-hmm. he works with those artists already and i don't even know what he does for them but i know like 
cool kids in my book. Mm-hmm. And and so that's when I reached out and I was like, yo, I know you have ties with Beat Society and this and that. I was like, but I'm just looking for distribution. Here's the, here's my my newest album. Like, like you know, what do you think? Like, I just, I, I know I could put it out on Bandcamp, but mm-hmm. that wasn't, that's not my, that wasn't my vision. My vision was just to kind of get it out. Uh, but yeah, shout out to Jim Drew and those guys. Um, they got me a few really dope placements, like front page Apple, uh, Apple Music. Ah, dope. Yeah, it was like right next to like um, one of Kendrick's artists. I can't remember which one it was, but it was like I was there for like good two weeks on the homepage as like new album. That was a uh, Iron Pro Two. Wow. Um, the new My Gospel. Thankfully, uh, I landed a, uh, I landed on the Vivo incoming hip hop playlist for my video for that album because oh, I launched dope. I launched a music video with the My Gospel album uh, for Holy Ghost. Okay, dope. And uh, I landed on the incoming. Uh, uh, hip hop playlist, the official one that goes on the TVs and everywhere generically, and uh, on that I landed at number six. Not that I'm was number six, but those things are blaz- kind of just placements. You don't, you know, it's not like a Billboard chart. Mm-hmm. But to be placed that high on the list next to Amigos, it was huge in the beginning. It, it really like helped uh, my gospel take off in the beginning. It's pretty That's dope. Great. Yeah, That's it really was just great. good lucky placement. Man, well, I'd certainly appreciate you coming through, man, and get doing this with me, man. No, nah, dude, this is fun. I've been long a, overdue, dude. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, like because I know what you did, like I said, with the, with your blog and Houston So Real, and and then with DJ Chill, and you know, and he was DJing, and y'all doing a radio show. Because like I felt like in a lot of ways, like what I did with Mike Swing and what we did at our radio show, you were that in Houston. Because I didn't know a lot of guys in Houston that were doing radio like that, but that's what we did in Austin, and that's how. That's how I kind of first uh, got wind of who you were, and it was before the you know you you started curating all the South by Southwest hip hop stuff, um, and I and and so it, it was just it was I think community thing mm-hmm. because I was tapped into Austin and Houston music scene, and that's how I heard about you, and I've always been a fan because dude, there's a lot of things that you were the glue, and and there's been a lot of times that I've been traveling doing my thing and i've run into you in other yeah. cities and and like and as much as it's fun to hang out and talk now it was it was just as fun to hang out and talk then because you're in new york you're at a shitty dive bar and you're about to get an overpriced coach or something and then you see a homie from texas and you're like that's what's up yeah. that you know and so that that's why it was like it was always fun to run to run into you uh in those different cities and we hung out with all the same people yeah that was you know? the key though moving around getting out there yeah and i didn't know what i was doing either yeah i probably i probably talked too much then like i talk too much now you know i'm, I'm a high energy person but I, it's just because i'm passionate about these things and i think that's something that at least from my perspective that i think i have in common with you is like i value the real shit i value the authenticity of it and uh somehow i i was able to kind of have my own little journey within the history of our city and some of the Houston stuff too. And, uh, and, and just to kind of still be able to do that stuff and then like, see you do what you're doing now. It's just like, why, why? Like you should do this all the time. Like (laughs) every day, like, like, like give me more. Yeah. I'm working on it, man. I'm trying to get back in it. We had, you know, the pandemic and a lot of family stuff, losing Creed, losing a lot of people, man. It was the last few years have been, it's been a gut check, man, a gut check. And then, you know, it was also a good, I, you know, I've talked about this before, maybe even on the podcast, I think, but like, you know, when I was, you know, I had my stepfather passed, I went up with my mother for a while mm-hmm. hanging out and she was all like, are you sure? And I'm like, 
you know, yeah, this is, I'm not missing anything. It's we're shut down. Everything's closed down. My business is gone, you know, like, Mm so we've got time. And it was like a way to like kind of decompress, step back. I mean, I'm getting back on social media just because of this podcast to try Mm -hmm. and get it out there a little bit. And I'm like, Whoa, how can I need to figure out how I would love to write the book, how to make it in the entertainment industry in modern days without, Google, uh, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. Twitter, you know, without any of that shit, if it, it but it's, I don't think it's actually possible right now, but, the, uh, man, that was a, it was a nice sort of break from that, but now yeah. it's time to get busy again. I mean, it's like, I want to tell these stories. I want to do, yeah. you know, bring people like you to the microphone. And, and I, and I really like, appreciate it. Like it, it, it just like, I'm so like thankful for the whole opportunity. You know what I mean? Cause these things like they do mean something to me and like, uh, you know, we, we touched on having kids and, and, you know, it just kind of sets like that, that I wouldn't say time clock, but it just makes you more respect more what you're yeah, doing. Exactly. And, and it makes me very intentful on what I want to do. Um, like I moved out to the country. I got away from noise. I got away from like just car pipes kind of thing, mufflers and stuff. And so that got me re tune in. Like what you're saying about you're kind of feeling like jazzed up, like, okay, what's what's this thing and like i i you know me putting out like this this recent album is that that same thing is like continue to 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 do it you know because i i one it's part of who we are oh that's big thunder yeah (laughs) yeah uh it's part of who we are but at the same time like i know that that there's still a hunger for it yep and that's that's the cool part about it is i don't care if it's 50 people that listen to the, the, the the my gospel album I think it's awesome that 50 people would listen to it. And if those people care, that's what's important. Like that's, right. I don't even, I try to not even look at the numbers. I know mm. I'm not up there in those millions. It is I, what it I is. don't. And even if I did make them. Okay. So then here's the other part of that coin. Cause if you did get a million plays on an episode tomorrow, you would probably still kind of be like, oh, okay. I'd be like, where's a, where's my three cents? Where's my point three cents? <laughs> my point three. Listen, Spotify's yeah. where's it? Um, so, okay. Before we, no. before we get done, uh, <laughs> I, I'm curious to, so I know you, 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 you've got the podcast and I kind of feel like that's your evolution of what, what your radio show was and what the blog was. And I think it's dope because I enjoy long format conversations mm-hmm. and especially about the topics that I'm interested in. Yep. Um, had you thought about getting in back in the realm of putting shows together and curating events? Yes. And I had a discussion with it yesterday with with a good friend of mine. Um, I don't really have the will to just put 15 rappers on a show again. Mm-mm, no. Um, but events, yes, I need to. But I will say it's just now starting to, I, you know, I went to Reggae Fest, 15,000 people probably out there. I don't know exactly, but it was a full um, auditorium it's, shores. It yeah, good, it's an ordeal. Know? It's a big show. No, it was great. But I'm saying I felt good about that because I was like, okay, it's back. It, you know, I can't afford to have the rug pulled out from under me again, mm. to be honest. You know, like if I were to book a tour right now and then all of a sudden the world shuts down again, I don't know. I'm only starting to see that it seems like it's going to be possible again, just kind of like right now. I wasn't going to jump back into the mix right away with I, this whole thing because it was, a you know, that's, I'm sorry, man, you know, conspiracy theorist or not, I am a conspiracy theorist, but like, they sure did shut us down quick, man. They sure did just rip it right out. For, they, they showed us quick yeah. what they could do, you know, and yeah. that shit freaks me out a lot. Like, I can't I can't uh, have that happen again. 
So the last <laughs> the last show that you know. that I was producing was an a slab official show. Yep. It was to release a, a product that we had been working on, the Fife Dog, which is a vegetarian uh smoked item because mm-hmm. you know we're barbecue place, but at the same time, man, I mean we're Austin kids. So I got vegetarian homies. Yep. All of us do. So that we had the idea of like, what if we did this this vegetarian meal? And because we're hip hop heads, it was like, why don't we call it the Fife Dog? Mm-hmm. And then so we reached out to Jerobi and and he co-signed it. And we he was coming into town for that event for South by Southwest. We had all this big thing planned, uh, stage, venue, everything was done. And then it was just like the week of was like we have to pull the rug out. And I was like, what, what? Yep. Just processing. The, the fact that I went through a couple months of prep for a show that we we're putting together with somebody like Jerobi, uh, and, and, and then it just like was like, go home, shut your door. And it was like, what? Yeah, something like that happens. It was like, and we didn't even understand it at first. Yeah. I didn't understand. I remember being at the North Door for a Vapor Cave show. Jane, yeah. Yeah. Jane Claire was on there, and, and uh, it was on March 8th. That was like the, the end. Yeah. And, uh, a friend of mine's husband works with the CDC in some way or something, some organization like that. And he's like, man, there's going to be food shortages. This is going to happen. It's going to, they're not going to be able to transport. He started breaking down all these things that were going to happen. And I was looking at him like, huh? For what? Why? <laughs> you know? And then boom, uh, yeah. the hammer came down, man. Yeah. So no, you know, so I've been a little nervous about, doing that sort of thing and plus to be honest with you i'll be i think i've said this before too like i was i was hating for a minute man like um i think rap music's coming back in a lot of ways there's a lot of good stuff out there but i had a moment where i couldn't really even listen to much of anything because everything i was getting in my ears was like you know people i love trying to sound like these new kids or like you know just this endless barrage of non-stop same sound and stuff it was like i had to stop for a minute and it was the pandemic and everything all kind of worked hand in hand for me personally mm-hmm. as a, it was a bit of a break and it was interesting. I went through a lot of changes in my life. I went through a lot of things and now it's like, okay, 2022, just, just have a nuclear war, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> There's no more. The COVID's gone. Yeah. COVID, isn't even, yeah, COVID ain't even in a new cycle right now. It's just like, they just want to shoot missiles. I'm just like, y'all are crazy. Yeah. The world is nuts, man. And it's like, uh, I was just chatting with a friend of mine in Mexico about like, I, I'm kind of a news junkie. I like to pay attention and stuff, but it's, it's the best thing you can do for yourself is to turn that shit off. Oh yeah, to man. An extent. Like, cause it's just so much. And COVID, that's a lesson that I hope people learn from COVID is like, to be honest, Today, there's people dying in probably every hospital you in the world. Somebody may Kate, be dying. Kate Slade just died. No, of course. But I'm saying, not, I'm not even talking about famous people. I'm talking about just in general. Like, yeah. You have no idea, and neither do I. Neither of us have any idea how many people died today. No, because and then but then when you turn on the news during every day, it's like there's been this many deaths, deaths, deaths. This is this, and they're like throwing it in your face that, constantly. You're like. This is for a couple of years straight, nonstop. Yeah. Anytime you turned on any media whatsoever, yeah, the first the thing you would ticker. see, they'd have a death ticker. You don't need to know all that. You That's know, what I'm saying. That's we, like we needed to be careful. I, we needed to be careful. It was it was it was real. People died, and I'm sorry for everybody's loss. We've all lost people. It sucked, mm. but the mental toll that that beatdown of nonstop information into our heads. Mm-hmm. You try to avoid it. Like I quit social media. I did this, did that, and it's still boom. You know, it still comes at you. It's like, 
Yeah, especially like at this at this age, with, with it being COVID, you couldn't. You had to acknowledge it because uh, because if you went to the grocery store, it was in your face. Yeah, I'm not saying physically, but I mean everybody's masked up. Things were different. Yeah. Um, there was days I had to go to the grocery store and stand in line. And it's yeah, just exactly. like, okay, this is weird. I've been in. Out in Bastrop, we fancy. We got HEB Plus. Yeah. The big one. The big and uh, we, there's never no line. That, that place is like clockwork. Mm-hmm. COVID hit. Dude, they're lined 200 yards long. It was, I was like, it was just. A little panic buying and all that, you know? Like, I'll never understand the toilet paper one. That was ridiculous to me. Like when people bought up all the toilet paper, I was like, seriously, bro? Yeah, they did too. It's right like, here, yeah. You don't need to buy up all the toilet paper. You could poop without toilet paper. That was one of my last posts before quitting social media in 2020 was I, I just ran. I didn't even know on that day. I didn't totally even know what was coming at all. Like I, I didn't expect all this. And I was like, what the, f- they bought all the toilet paper. <laughs> it's <laughs> strange. It's toilet paper. I guess yeah. that's what's popping in the streets. Hey man. It and is making it, it rain. Is. Just you need it. <laughs> we need it. We use it. But, uh, it is what it is. We're back. And yes, I, I do need, I'm thinking, Something bigger than a show. That's my idea. We'll talk about off record, whatever. Well, I'm excited. No matter but, uh, what it is, I'm excited. Um, it's a lot of things opening up. I mean, let's hope. You know, I, uh, you know, in Austin, we can vote on this week. May 7th is actual voting, actual election day, but there's some early voting opportunities. We can vote on decri- straight up decriminalizing up to four ounces of weed. Oh, really? Yes. And it's weird because the, the proposition is paired with ending no-knock warrants. So... Oh, yeah, those are bad. That's what they're trying to do here, which is important, but I think that might screw up the weed thing for certain people who are already How, tripping. But no, no-knock no warrants are, are just bad. Like They're bad. There's, yeah, there's no, been so not, many... And it's been in the news. I don't really have to name drop any names, but there's been some really horrif- horrifying things that have happened from going them going in the wrong place, seeing, you know completely not even getting the right person, you know, and dumb things like no, not warrants. It's just, it's just, no, it should just never happen. But we've got some uh, time to change. And like I say, uh, I want to see that the cannabis trade change here. So I went up to Oklahoma a couple weeks ago to their cannabis convention, Canacon. I, I yeah. Some of my friends, uh, I know some folks that, uh, own some dispensaries and grows yeah. here, uh, farmers and, uh, they were up there. Yeah. And it was, yeah. uh, it's fascinating, you know. I mean, it's it's fascinating in California and everywhere else too. But when you go to a place like fucking Oklahoma, and they are ahead of us in that, I never understood so that. Things have got to happen here. Things are going to change, and when it does, it's going. This is going to be a right pass market for doing cannabis events, cannabis awareness. It's going to happen. I I never, I never would have thought there'd be a day that Oklahoma has been more of a trendsetter than Texas because I've growing up and, and like I said, living in Dallas for a little bit, Oklahoma, just, you know, pretty close by. Um, Oklahoma is just always conservative compared to Texas. And so, so for, so for Oklahoma to be more progressive in that way, when, when they crazy. first passed it, I was just like, how is that a thing? That makes no sense to me. It's money, but well, they like it. the money and, and, and well, I mean, everybody does. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. It's a matter of time. We'll see, but yeah, definitely go out there and, Vote for Prop A this time. Prop A, all right. That's Prop, Prop A. A, yeah. This is um, I guess final send-off, uh, what else? Uh, so Mike and Ike, I just did a remix for one uh, a single from them. What? Yeah, um, that is called Vibe Out. Uh, I don't think that they've they've released it. I just what? sent them the masters. Old school Mike and Ike? From here in Austin. From here in Austin. Yeah, wow. with Diamond Tip. 
Wow. Diamond Tip's out in, uh, back in uh, New Mexico. But uh, yeah, Crazy. so Ike's out in LA. I think Mike's somewhere's up in the Midwest. But they reached out to do a remix. Uh, and so I said, yeah. So I just turned that in. And then uh, DZ Brown. Nice. Um, so in seeing him for the first time, again, I just want to, you know, I want to get to know people just that are doing cool things. And so um, getting to know DZ a little bit, uh, I did some cuts on DZ's, I think, next album that's coming out. I don't, I, I think that might be on May 3rd. I can't remember. He's got another project dropping. Okay. But yeah, so I, I, I'd worked on uh, one, of the, one of his songs, just doing cuts. But like the newer folks, like he's one of the guys that I really, really believe in. Um, I got a homie, uh, young Luke that I, that I help out a little bit, uh, one Luke in, uh, out of Bastrop and uh, yeah, he's got some cool, he's a younger guy, but I like what he's doing too. It's, it's not the hip hop I make, but nothing, Mm -hmm. but it's just, it's somebody I could help. Um, and then I got another, another album in the works, but it's not worth talking about yet, but it's, it's almost complete though. Dope. I can't wait to hear it, man. No, dude, thank you for the opportunity and, uh, uh, this is this has been fun, and uh, shout out to all the the old school homies that that I got to grow up with. You know, all of them from X Men to Man. to to Fred Five One Two, and and then you got people like the T Double, and then you got people like Overlord and Abe the Assassin, and you know Thomas from from Turntable Records and Herb from Alien Records. Man, Man I I got used to pick on me, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was the spot. Those guys are record snobs back in the day when Gil used to work there. Yep. That 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 rockabilly dude knew all the hip hop shit. Yeah, I drive on Enfield all the time. It yeah. was on Enfield, right? The, no, the the, the turntable. Fifth, Not turntable. Uh, Alien, Alien was Alien. on. Well, it had multiple locations. It was on Fifteenth. Fifteenth, right, right, right. It was on Fifth over by the AISD building for that's a while true. in the porn yep. shop. That's right. The, yeah, that's uh, crazy. And then the last location was up on like 36th or something in Lamar. Hmm. And that, that's the one where you would go to and it would just never be open. It'd be like two in the afternoon and the doors would be locked and nobody would open the store. That's That, that was where Alien Records just kind of disappeared. Yeah. Man, <laughs> but yeah, Records. shout out to all those guys in the, uh, I think the historic fact of uh, just being around all those cool hip hop heads and, and drum and bass guys back in the day, Vishnu and Baby G and all those guys. Yeah, man, dope. for real. Yeah, there's so many influences, man. Like, we could go with a whole podcast just doing names. I know. And then the one you forget is going to trip. Oh, don't be mad at me. I'm <laughs> I, I'm forgetful as it is. I'm bad with that. Yeah. I but yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I, I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Man, thank you, brother. Look out for his. Uh, all his music on all the streaming platforms, DJ Protege and Austin Legend for sure, man. And I'm so glad we got a chance to yeah, chop dude. it up. Any social media, anything you want to leave him with? Um, Where to find you? Instagram. It's just I am DJ Protege. Like I'm DJ Protege. Um, and it's got the little link tree, and you can pull up video or albums, all that stuff. Um, okay. I try to post pretty regularly. My wife's got on me. She was like, "You need to be more more proactive about your own music." Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, I promote everybody else, but it's kind of hard." Um, but but yeah, just uh, it's on it's I'm DJ Protege on Instagram, and you can reach out reach out to me through any net, any platform through there. Already, we'll do that, and you can get Talk So Real on uh, any of the podcast platforms. I appreciate it if you would tell a friend to tell a friend, give a share, a like, whatever you do. I I'd, I'd love to see it. Just get your uh, ears on it. Subscribe and uh, holler at me, Matt at Pushermania.com or Talk So Realist on Twitter and Instagram. Don't look for me on Facebook. All right, man. We're going to talk again soon, I hope. Yeah, always, dude. It's been fun. Bang, bang. For sure. Peace. (laughs)